All right. Well, good morning, and as uh, you have been wished by Pastor Stephen and Pastor Derek, happy Father's Day to all of you who are dads or dads, maybe even some soon to be. Uh, hope that you feel very honored <clears throat> on this day. Uh, it's a great day to celebrate kind of, uh, you know, your calling as dads, the uniqueness with which God has made and created you, which is much different from moms on Mother's Day, much different from women. In fact, I, I don't know if you know this, but it is a proven fact that men live shorter lives than women. Did you know that? That is a proven fact. Statistics show that. Um, We don't always know exactly why, and some people try and kind of figure that out, but I have found the answer to that quandary. Uh, Do do you want to know what it is? You want to know? Okay. I have some proof of this, so let me uh, show you Exhibit A of why men live shorter lives than women. That is the most ingenious and stupidest idea at the same time I have ever seen in my life. The guy's trying to mow his hedges with a crane. Um, Go ahead, uh, give us number two there. Yep. That is not going to end well, is it? I do not think so, okay? Next, why men live shorter lives than women? Okay, yep. Yep, power strip, electrical power strip bar on flip-flops in a pool. Um, I think it probably has something to do with what they're drinking up there, but that's just my guesstimation of that. Okay, let let me show you another reason uh, why men don't live as long as women. Okay, yep, you see that? Mm Mm-hmm, yep, okay. Uh, This next one is just, you know, that's just scary, right? Right, right? Uh, Next one here... um, at least they had a rope, right? That, that's, they, 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 were, they were thinking ahead on that one, okay? <laughs> All right. Um, yeah, that was just really kind of interesting. I mean, they, they make pole extensions, right? Okay? So uh, this next one, I, I think I've actually tried a time or two. Um, and and that, that does work if that's what you have to do, you know? Uh, uh, next one here is just in the category of whatever works. So, good for those guys if that works. Our sound guy upstairs actually said he did that with his son to get a ball out of the sewage drain. So, um, it works. It works. Uh, next one here. What? At least he used two sticks, right, instead of one. So, that's a good. That's a good thing. And then, uh, let me show the next one. Oh, yes. There, there's a good ending one right there. I'm not sure how much alcohol that takes to do that, but um, probably some. Well, uh, dads, I'm glad you are alive and you are here, Um, but we are in a series. In fact, this is the last message on the series, uh, Family Portrait, God's Design for Marriage and Family uh, and Relationships. And uh, we started the series on Mother's Day, and we've gone here through Father's Day. Uh, I hope you now have a greater understanding for God's intention for families, uh, because as I said last week, there's an all-out war that has been declared on the family unit. 
and, and we're understanding more about what that looks like, even as we're understanding more about the war, like on the war uh, that ISIS has done on the free world. And we see that we need to be praying for our community, our brothers and sisters in Orlando, but really not just there. I mean, all over the world, all over U.S. soil as well, as it has infiltrated there. And, and folks, it'll just get worse. It will continue to um, until the Lord comes back. And, and, and yet I don't want to give a, a word of despair or discouragement. Um, but really, the, the uh, a war on the family unit, the war on the home, has created a huge breakdown that has been going on for decades upon decades. And, and men, dads, Satan is trying to pick you off. You are the point person of the family. You are the leader, and you need to step up and lead. And last week I spoke about some of that, and so if you want to get that message, please go on the website, and you can listen to that. But today, um, I want to give you a word of hope and, and encouragement by showing us the example of what our good, good Father is, what our Heavenly Father is, and ultimately what He desires for us to grow into, because none of us are finished products, are we? Amen? None of us are there yet. We're all works in progress, but our challenge is to become more like our good, good Father, our perfect Father. Even though we will never reach that perfection, our challenge is to be more and more like Him every day. So on this Father's Day, let's not focus on how we don't measure up, but let's look at God, our Father, of how good of a heavenly Father He is and how much He wants to transform us into a, a person to become more like His Son. Jesus. And so I want to show you a story today that is in the book of Exodus. If you have your Bibles, you can open up to the book of Exodus, second book of the Bible. It's about a man who is a father who says, you know what, I'm having a little bit of a difficult time here uh, doing, God, what you've called me to do. And so I need your hope. I, I, I need to see what you are like. That's the only way I'm going to get through this. It's in Exodus chapter 33. And uh, let me give you kind of a little background on this as you're turning there. It's a, a father by the name of Moses who uh, has been called to deliver the Israelites from Pharaoh out of Egypt. He's traveling through the desert. And now Moses has gone up to Mount Sinai and he's left all the Israelites waiting for him. And the Israelites think that Moses is taking too long. And so they begin to say, well, you know what? Moses' God is not our God. In fact, this calf, this golden calf is now our God. And they melted down all their gold and they put it into a golden calf. And they said, that's who now we are going to worship. Let's do that. So Moses has a few choice words for God. Like, really? I mean, I mean, these are the people you're wanting me to lead. Do you see what they're like? He uses words like stiff necked people, which are probably one of the nicer things he said about these Israelites. But instead of continuing to dwell on the people, see, here's what was key. Instead of continuing to dwell on the people and their rebelliousness and their stiff necked behavior, here's what he does. Moses begins to focus on God. And he says, okay, God, if you want me to lead them, I have to know you better. Because I will never do this in my own power. If I focus on these people, 
If I focus on, for us, if we say we focus on our family, if we focus on our work associates, if we focus on our neighbors, our friends, if we focus on people who will let us down, if we focus on them, we'll never accomplish what God wants us to accomplish. And Moses picked that up real quick. He says, if I do that, if I focus on these people, I will become discouraged. I will pull my hair out. I will cry. I will need counseling. I will need all of it. And so God, here's what I need. I need you to show me who you are. I need to look past this stuff, and I need to look this way, which is is really why we come to church on Sunday mornings, so that we can lose this perspective and gain a greater one, so we can look to God, and then he allows us to look back at the people who we interact with. He allows us then to be a better person be it a father, be it a mother, be it a work associate, be it a grandfather, a grandmother, be it neighbor, be it brother, be a sister, whatever it may be. And Moses picks this up real quick. He says, God, I, I, I need you in this, so let me look to you. That's what we do here on Sunday mornings. That's why we just had a time of kind of massaging the heart here of you're a good, good father, you're a good, good father, you're a good, good father. How many times do we need to say that before we believe that? Probably over and over and over again because everything in the world tells us otherwise. That's why we come to worship. That's why I hope you don't leave worship early as well, especially when we get into that last song after the message is over. I know some people, you know, pack up. Okay, message is done. No, we are still worshiping of God. And even as we leave this place, we are still worshiping him. And you'll see that as Moses understands that. And so in your Bibles, Exodus chapter 33, it's on your outline as well. If you want to pick that up, it's on the screen. Let me start Exodus chapter 33, verse 12. Here's what Moses says. He says to God, he says, see, you have to, uh, see, you, you say to me, bring up these people, but you have not let me know whom you will send with me. Yet you have said, I know you by name, and you have also found favor in my sight. Now, therefore, if I have found favor in your sight, God, please show me now your ways that I may know you. And look at what he does. Skip over to verse 18 of 33. He, he just ups the ante here. He actually says, Moses says, please show me your, what's the word there? Show me your glory. God, I cannot do this on my own. Show me your glory. And how does God respond I'm thinking if I'm God at this point, here is my shot. I mean, I've just witnessed this whole golden calf stuff where all the people have been worshiping now a golden calf instead of him. These stiff-necked, rebellious people. I'm thinking now God can step in here, can swoop right in, and he can show him his commands. He can show them, you need to respect me. You need to discipline. You need to be whipped into shape. And yet, how does God respond to this question? Watch this. Verse 30, uh, uh, excuse me, chapter 34, verses 6 and 7. The Lord passed by before him, that is Moses, and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness 
keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin. God describes himself in this moment of this entire nation's rebellion as focusing on his love for the people. Wow. That's why we sing what a good, good father you are. That's why we come to praise him. That's why I hope we pray others will focus upon that as well. Now, we'll get into some other characteristics of God, but we want to start here. And so on your outline, you have it. I wrote down, how does God describe himself in this situation? First of all, by being merciful and gracious. Merciful and gracious. The Hebrew word translated merciful, I think in NIV you have compassionate, literally means love that is rooted in a deep deep bond, which is really interesting because here the people are basically spitting on God's face. They're creating this idol that they want to worship. They're saying, we don't like your leader Moses. We'll do our own thing. And you think about later on in the New Testament how God sends his own son, God in in, in a body, to be crucified on a cross. And again, the people spit on Jesus and crucify him. And yet in the midst of all that, you have God who is saying, these are my people. I have a deep bond for them. That's what that word in the Hebrew, the merciful, means. Gracious is another Hebrew word that means a heartfelt response by someone who has something to give to one who has a need. This is God giving to someone, us, who have a need. It's an unconditional love in action. That's how God chooses to define himself to Moses. That's pretty incredible. You know, I was reading a little bit about the life of uh, the famous philosopher Friedrich Nietzsche. Uh, found a twist to a tale of his life that was kind of surprising. As a kid in the mid-1800s, he was very involved in church. Then at 18 years of age, kind of thinking that he reached adulthood, manhood, he rejected the faith of his uh, deeply religious family, and especially his mother, who was very religious. She was a Christian woman. He despised Christianity as, quote-unquote, the religion of the weak, and he promoted instead this will to power. That's how he says that his followers now would be. He wrote the book Man and Superman, and he insisted now that his followers and he were the new supermen beyond mere notions of good and evil. They, they said now, were the new gods. In fact, Nietzsche predicted that in the future, history would no longer be divided into before Christ and after Christ, but it was going to be divided into before Nietzsche and after Nietzsche. This is the guy who claimed God is dead, okay? This is the philosopher who said, who said that. Well, it didn't quite turn out that way, did it? In fact, his mind began to break down. His health began to break down as well. He began to go blind. His friends ended up putting him in an insane asylum. And it was in that dark time in his life when his Christian mother re-entered into his life. She heard about what had happened to him, and she came to claim him and to take him home with her. Her boy, who had rejected her, who had rejected everything that she loved, 
now would take her and hold, take him and hold him in her arms. In fact, friends would come by and see the mother who was there holding her son, caring for her, rocking him to sleep. This broken body of a man who at one time claimed he was God and he was Superman. Now you think about that situation and you ask, who is he that he should receive the kind of love that she would give to him? I mean, he didn't do anything to make himself lovable. In fact, he was incapable of loving back when the mental disorder kind of kicked in. What logical reason was there for her to love him other than she was his child? And the love of a parent is what brought her to her son. That's kind of the the same imagery that we have there of God in the situation where the Israelites are doing their own thing. They're they're rejecting God. They're worshiping now idols. They're they're being a rebellious and a stiff-necked people. And here's God who steps in and says, no, I am still gracious. I am still merciful. They say, you know what? We don't care about that. We want to be our own gods. Kind of like sometimes we might claim to be our own gods as well. Maybe we don't go as far as saying we're Superman, but we try and be in control. Or maybe we try and live our own days, making our own decisions. Or maybe there's times when we say, God, I don't really need to read your word. I don't need to read it today, which falls into weeks, which falls into months, which unfortunately may even fall into years. Or maybe there's some really rebellious seasons in our lives when we say, God, I don't even need to go to church. We don't end up going to church for a year, maybe 20 years. And maybe you're here today. And you're in this place and you realize, I really have not had a connection with God in years and years and years. You have to know you still have a God who loves you, who's merciful and gracious to you, and is saying, welcome home. Come home. You're my child. I love you. And I always will. That's how God chooses to describe himself to Moses in this time, in this situation. Let me tell you how else. And I'm thankful for this one. He also says, I'm slow to anger. That's what I am. That's how I choose to describe himself. I'm slow to anger. You know, despite popular misconceptions, God does not have anger management issues. All right? That's not who God is. The Hebrew expression here literally means long-nosed. And you kind of scratch your head at that. What does that mean, long nose? It refers to the tendency for your nose to get red when someone becomes angry. And so God might actually kind of be saying this with a trace of a smile, that it takes me a long time to get angry at my children, which I am very, very thankful for. Amen? Amen? God God is saying, I'm not in a hurry to judge sinners yet. Which, by the way, let me, let me say this. Um, many of us probably saw the news of the Orlando shootings this last week. I think it was actually on last Sunday morning. So we didn't talk about a lot in here because we didn't have all the news in here. But um, there were some pastors who kind of jumped to some conclusions. Many of you probably saw this in the paper or on the news. Where up in Sacramento, there was a pastor who just berailed that whole situation and said they deserved it, God's brought it upon them, the world's a safer place because a group of homosexual men are are not living on this world. And, and, And he preached that message last Sunday morning. 
And of all the faiths that it was and all the denominations, it comes out that he was a Baptist pastor up in Sacramento. Folks, that does such harm to our faith. That does such harm to what God is trying to communicate to us. Okay, maybe God doesn't, well, I know, God does not agree with the homosexual lifestyle. We have that all over Scripture. But God does not agree with my lifestyle as well when I sin. Amen? God doesn't agree with any of our sins, but he still loves us. And God is is slow to anger. He is not judging people yet until the day that they die or the day that he comes. And until that time comes, he is slow to anger. He is rich in love. He is merciful. He is gracious. And he is saying, come, come, come to me. That's the kind of God we have. He is slow to anger. Now notice this description. It It says that he's slow to anger. It doesn't say that he doesn't get angry. God does get angry. It is a righteous anger, but he is holding that back until the time when we pass on because at that point we have made our decision of who we are choosing to follow or he's allowing time to go on so more people will come to him. But the anger is not a sin. To be angry is not the sin. The Bible says we are to sin, but not, uh, excuse me, the Bible doesn't say that we're supposed to sin. The Bible says that we're not to sin in our anger. That's what it says. And so it doesn't say you can't have the emotion of anger, but you need to deal with that emotion properly. God's anger is a righteous anger. And it's okay in that way. Because he wants things right. You realize that in Scripture, in the Old Testament, there's almost 400 mentioned times uh, in Scripture that God got angry. And 300 of those led to God's anger bringing about positive change in the people. That's what a slow anger can do. We need to have a righteous anger. Yes, we hate sin, but we do not hate the sinner. And our God is a God of love who wants sinners to repent, who is calling everyone home until he chooses to come back. And then his wrath will be poured out all against all those who do not have Jesus Christ in their lives. That's when that time will come. So he says, I'm gracious. I am merciful. I am slow to anger. Let me give you the last thing he says here. He also says that he is steadfast love and faithfulness. That's who I am. I have steadfast love and faithfulness for my people. The word here means a loyal love, meaning I I may be disloyal, I may fail in my promises, I may be unfaithful in my love every day, but God is loyally still loving me through all of it. And the word abounding means that his love is overflowing with loyalty as well as his faithfulness. The phrase, you see it there in verse, I think it's in verse 7. The phrase that is, um, keeping steadfast love for thousands, that actually means to the thousandth generation. That's who I keep my love to. That is a long, long, long time. He talks about being a forgiving God. And here's what's interesting about this. Let me pick this up. Uh, Exodus 34, verse 7. Let me pick it up just before that, where God talks about uh, uh, bounding and steadfast love and faithfulness. Now, verse 7, being steadfast love for, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity, transgression, and sin. Now, here it is. 
but who will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and the children's children to the third and fourth generation. What's going on there? What God is saying is I'm not going to overlook sin. I I do not like sin. There needs to be a penalty that is paid for sin. New Testament, we see God's incredible love is poured out into His Son, Jesus. And His Son, Jesus, goes to the cross to pay for that penalty of sin. That's how we know we can have now a relationship with God our Father and be in relationship with Him. Only by what Jesus did for us on the cross. But the sin we do still carries consequences. And that might not only be felt in us, but if it's an ongoing sin, guys, hear me on this, that can ripple to your family for generation to generation to generation. And so let me just again put the challenge to you guys on Father's Day. Get those things right. If you know you're sinning, if you know you're going down a bad road, if you know this has been in your family and you've created something, maybe even your father took you down this road, or maybe you're the first, you know that your children are watching you, and you know that your grandchildren will be watching you. Take care of it now. Get it taken care of here. You have a father who says, I love you, and I want what's best for you. And sin can cause horrendous complications. And so God's saying, come on. Let my love spur you to better and greater things. And, and because he loves us, he warns us. And because God loves us, he warns his children, he disciplines his children. But the big picture here, what I really want to focus on, yes, we know that God's wrath will come. God does not like sin. He corrects us as a loving father does. He really wants us to know, though, it's done in love. Mercy, gracious slow to anger, steadfast love, faithfulness for my people. The big picture here is that God shows Moses what he is like, and he focuses on the infinite, loyal, faithful love in action. That, he says, is my glory. And watch what happens in verse 8. This, is, this should be our response. Verse 8. And Moses quickly bowed his head toward the earth, and what's the word there? And he worships. Moses quickly bowed his head toward the earth, and he worshiped. And what a response. That's why God wanted to show himself with incredible love, because when we realize how much he loves us, it just drives us to our knees to worship him. That's why I I, I know that you're here. Because you know how much God loves you. And it does not do you any good to, to be away from church because to be here, you understand more about God, you just understand more about His nature, and hopefully that drives you more to Him loving you at the same time. See, God revealed the most important thing about Himself, that He loves us. And Moses then chose to love Him back. It says He worshiped God. So understand this for you and for me. The most important thing you can know is that God loves you. The most important thing you can do is love him back. Let me say that one more time. The most important thing you can do, excuse me, the most important thing you can know is that God loves you. The most important thing you can do is love him back. 
and then let that love overcome every aspect of your life, everything you do, every interaction you have, especially to those who are closest to you. Hear me on that. Now, as we've been ending this series on the family and relationships, don't be Mr. Happy-Go-Lucky to everyone else in the office or who you meet at Home Depot and other places like that without loving the people who are closest to you. Your children, if you're married, your spouse. If you're not married yet, love your father, your mother, other people you interact with. Love those who are closest to you. In fact, John got a hold of this concept when he saw it demonstrated in Jesus. And look at what he says. It's on the outline down at the bottom where he says, you know what, 1 John 4, 8, he says, God God is love. And then he goes on and he says, we love because he first loved us. And then he goes on, he says, beloved, if God so loved us, we ought to love who? One another. I read that in my devotions this week. 1 John 4. Read, read that chapter. One of the great chapters in all the Bible. You cannot walk away from that with, 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 without wondering, God, you are so loving to me. And you want me now to love others. Why don't I? Just, just spend time. Just dwell in that chapter. And see how God works on your heart in the midst of that. I, I want to encourage you. Take the love that God has given to you. And now love others with that. Moses knew he could not do this on his own. If he looked to the people, he would get discouraged. If he looked to God, he got encouraged to say, okay, now I can love these people. Now I said do that to the people who are closest to you. There is a great scene from the movie Fireproof. Uh, In the movie, Kirk Cameron plays a husband who is at his wit's end with his wife. All the things that he's done for you. He starts to list them off, and she just isn't approving of this. He begins to vent to his dad in the scene I'm going to show you and listen to the advice his father gives to him. Take a look. Caleb, if I were to ask you why you're so frustrated with Catherine, what would you say? She's stubborn. She makes everything difficult for me. She's ungrateful. She's constantly griping about something. Has she thanked you for anything you've done the last 20 days? No. And you'd think after I wash the car, I change the oil, do the dishes, clean the house, that she would try to show me a little bit of gratitude. But she doesn't. In fact, when I come home, she makes me feel like I'm I'm an enemy. I'm not even welcome in my own home, Dad. That is what really ticks me off. Dad, for the last three weeks, I have been over backwards for her. I have tried to demonstrate that I still care about this relationship. I bought her flowers, which she threw away. I have taken her insults and her sarcasm, but last night was it. I made dinner for her. I did everything I could to demonstrate that I care about her, to show value for her, and she spat in my face. She does not deserve this, Dad. I am not doing it anymore. How am I supposed to show love to somebody over and over and over who constantly rejects me? That's a good question. Dad, that is not what I'm doing. Isn't it? Dad, that is not what this is about. Son, you just asked me. 
How can someone show love over and over again when they're constantly rejected? Caleb, the answer is, you can't love her because you can't give her what you don't have. You can't give to others what you don't have. <clears throat> How do you expect to love one another, others, when you've maybe not accepted God's love or grown in that love? How can you give to your spouse? How can you give to your children, your own? I can't love my wife naturally. I have to love her supernaturally. I can't love my children and raise my children in my own ways because I'm way too selfish to do that. I have to do that in the love that God gives to me and an overflow of that love. That's the only way it works. Moses quickly realized, God, I cannot do this if I'm focusing on them. My power, I can't make it happen. He says, I need to know you more. I need to know who you are. That's now what Jesus has come to show us. God has given us now the cross. And when we go to the cross, then we can experience what true love is. And out of that love, we now give that to others. My prayer is on this Father's Day, you will realize how much of a good, good father you have. How much he loves you. But don't try and love in your power. Love in his Amen? Amen? Amen. Amen. Let's pray. God, we are people who have messed up. We are just like the Israelites, trying to do it in our power and realizing it cannot be done. And, and Lord, we, uh, we realize that we can be stiff-necked. We realize that we can be selfish. We realize that it just doesn't work. It just doesn't work in how we um, are trying to lead, how we are trying to love, how we are trying to help without your love pulsing through us. God, that's the only way it can happen. And God, we need a revival to come across this country. We, we need people to focus more upon you. We need to, in response to how good you are, to fall and to worship you as Moses did. And so, God, we're convicted. Forgive us. Forgive us for not focusing on your incredible love, realizing that you're gracious, you're compassionate, you're slow to anger, you're so faithful, you're steadfast in your love for us. God, we realize as well that one day your wrath will be poured out upon those who do not have Jesus in their lives. We realize that the only way we can spend eternity with you is to ask Christ into our hearts. And so, folks, let me just ask, if you're here today and you know that you have never made that decision to follow Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, to experience God's love, why haven't you made that choice? You have an advocate for you who loves you so much. You have a heavenly father who is not trying to chase you away and condemn you and show you everything you've done wrong. You have a heavenly father who wants to love you into his arms. In fact, he loved you so much he sent his son Jesus to die for you on the cross. And so if today, today would be the day to say, okay, God, I surrender. I've been trying to do it in my own power. Today I choose to do it in yours. 
You know, we stand in front of a cross. A cross where Jesus went to die for our sins. And what Scripture says, if we believe in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, and we believe what he did for us by going to that cross to pay for our sins, we confess that our mouths, believe that in our hearts, then we will be saved. And so what you need to do here today, if you have not made that decision, is to do it right now. In your heart, wherever you are, right there in your own pew, just say the words, Lord Jesus, would you come into my life today? I invite you to be my Lord. I invite you to be my Savior. And if you pray that prayer, saying, I'll ask for your forgiveness, I want to repent and follow you, The Lord Jesus promises to come into your life, and you no longer have to live this on your own. You're living it in and through Him. Maybe today is a day of recommitment for you as well. Maybe you've done that years ago, but you've been away from God the Father. Maybe today is a day of recommitment. Say, I want to get this right. If one of those two decisions were yours today after the service, would you just come and share that you made a decision to follow Christ or rededicate your life? We have some information for you out in our Next Step Center as well, which is out in the middle of the large room you walked in, our Welcome Center. I hope that you will stop by there, and we have some, a Bible and a reading plan, just more ways of growing in the faith that you've started here today. I know there are many others of you who have walked the Christian faith for years and years and years, and yet maybe you've gotten off track just a bit. Maybe you've looked more to the negative attributes of that the world describes the God of him being hateful or him not loving. No, that's not the way God chose to describe himself. Yes, he's a God who hates sin, but he loves us, the sinner. Slow to anger, rich in love, merciful, gracious, steadfast, faithful. God, may we know how much you love us, and may that call us out of a lifestyle of sin. May that call us to a place of repentance and love for you and love for others, because that, God, that's what you've asked us to do. You've asked us to love our spouses. You've asked us to love our children. You've asked us to love our work associates. You've asked us to love our friends and our neighbors. You've asked us to do that. God, we can't do it in our own power. We do it in yours. Thank you, Thank you, thank you for your love for us. And even now as we worship with one last song, God, we follow what Moses did. We follow with worshiping you because of how good we know you are. Hear us now as we worship. May it be from our hearts, not just words on a screen, but Lord, from our hearts. We love you and we praise you. For it's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.